Hello and welcome to Softball Media Days. Yes, this project that we have teased for months is finally here. I'm Gray Robertson. My partner Tom Canterbury is here. This is the Out of the Box podcast, bringing you something that, from what I understand and based on my research, Tom, has never been done before in an official get all the coaches in one spot, release interviews with them in one spot in a, about a two week span kind of capacity. Yeah, I'm, you know, that's what we do. We make history. <laughs> And so, yeah, so the Out of the Box podcast, once again, making history. And it's something that uh, I think after this is over, I think if if certain people listen to it, they'll realize that this is something that needs to be done. I agree. Uh, You know, football has it. Basketball has it. You know, it's it doesn't necessarily have to be like football where everyone gets together in one spot, uh, especially right now. That type of stuff's not really going to fly anyway. But when things get back to normal, you could still do this mostly virtually. And it, and it work out pretty well and to give everybody what you need. So yeah, I, I think it's something that hopefully will be you know continued after this season. All right, so let's break this down. You and I, as we were wasting away in quarantine, we think doing of, nothing. Exactly, we do right. the Bamu bracket, we which do, was this year, by the way. It was. I don't know, I don't Remember, know, it seems like it was a decade ago. Congratulations, Jackie Trana, right. the winner of the twenty seven. <laughs> I mean, twenty twenty Bamu bracket. So right. we do that. We do the draft. In between those projects, I have shot an idea out to you, you agreed, and then we kind of slowly conversated, and we we kind of try and figure out how this plan might work, and uh, and I'm going to be real honest. It took me being very patient to not want to just tweet out and say, this is what we want to do, <laughs> to not reach out to the coaches in August. Right. It took a lot of time, and everyone was really receptive to the idea, not just the coaches, but the SIDs, a lot of the other people inside the sport that we've talked to mm-hmm. when we've mentioned what we're doing. I mean, this was something everybody pretty much supported. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's kind of an untapped resource, uh, the the sport as a whole. with It's beginning to get more and more, and that's one of the big disappointments of 2020 is that softball was going to get a lot of really good coverage throughout the year and, and into the into the Oklahoma City and the World Series. It was going to be a really big deal with the you know with the Olympics coming up and everything. It was going to be uh really showcased. Uh hopefully that'll happen in twenty twenty one. But um it, it just was it was one of those things that it was out there for and just hopefully somebody could could take that that leap and do it. And like you said, everyone was real receptive. The fact that we were two Alabama guys, everyone was fine with that. And everyone knew that too. Right, and exactly. you know, we're not a secret about it, but yeah. at the same time, some of the coaches, which you will hear in these interviews, were cracking jokes about sure. Alabama and playing Alabama and yeah. uh, making references to that during the interview, which I was not expecting. Right. Yeah. So and it just kind of shows that, you know, these, and really when you get down to it, coaches, you know, they're always talking about in the off season. They're they're all on committees together. They're all almost everyone, with very few exceptions. They are trying to do things that are for the good of the sport mm-hmm. and for the good of the players, uh, not necessarily what you know is going to help them the most to try try to get a leg up on somebody. So the, some of the animosity that we might think exists um, maybe is more of what the fans have toward each other than necessarily the coaches have toward each other or the players. Uh, I think at the end of the day, everyone is trying to, you know, get to the same goal. Right. And is that to, to help elevate the sport. And the secrecy only exists in injuries. Right. That's it. Yes. Everything else. We're, we've got some pretty <laughs> open interviews. With Absolutely. A lot of the coaches, right. Which was illuminating to me before we dive into what the schedule looks like. We've got every SEC school covered. 
we've previewed 2021. We've looked back at 2020. Every answer from the coaches, other than a few sound tweaks, is unedited. So right. everything that they say is what they said. I didn't change very much at all other than maybe some volume things here and there. Yeah, because we're, we're dealing with technology during right. this whole time too, yeah. Some are over Zoom, some are on the phone, and uh, I was really impressed with how much the coaches gave us when we asked about lineup strategy. I mean, you're going to hear an interview in this first episode where – now, to be fair, we'll address that in a minute, but where it sounds like we're hearing who one of the starters is at a position that's up for grabs. Yeah. I was really impressed. Yeah. I think some of that, too, comes with, you know, we're we're one of the probably the first people to interview some of these coaches in months. Yes. Uh, that And they're so happy to be talking about the actual sport again and not dealing, you know, which we did talk about what happened in 2020 and kind of the end of the season and stuff like that. But we're not, it's not, you know, 20, 30 minutes on Corona. It is like actually right. talking about softball, uh, and it is the off season. Uh, I don't know if some of the coaches would be quite as open if we were doing these interviews in in March, <laughs> but you know, pre NCAA sure. tournament, yeah, yeah, we're not getting probably, some of these answers. Probably not so, but again, I, I appreciate all the coaches for being as open as they were. Uh, not very much coach speak at all. It was like mm-hmm. you know general stuff. I I asked a lot of like general coaching philosophy questions and things like that and i thought we got some really good answers on those and some, some off the wall stuff in a positive way yes so i i was i was real happy with everything all right so like i said every sec school will be represented so here is the schedule as you've seen it in the first two-day graphic that i release here's the full schedule this is everything people episode one the one you're listening to right now we've got florida tim walton We've got Arkansas, Courtney Diefel, and we've got the dynamic duo. I believe I called them in the interview the best package deal in the SEC, Ralph and Karen Weekly out of Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, right there. They showed Florida and Tennessee talked with us Alabama guys, so we appreciate that. And we got Ralph and Karen, right. which Brian Rice confirmed to me is sometimes difficult to do because sure. they it's two people. Yeah, and we pulled that off somehow. So it happened. Uh, you know, that <laughs> they were they were great, and they were uh, they were in Knoxville. I was in Orange Beach, and you were in Birmingham. It worked out great. Twenty twenty has yes, taught us so much. Indeed. Episode two being released Friday, December fourth. We've got Larissa Anderson, Missouri, Samantha Ricketts, Mississippi State, and Mickey Dean, Auburn. Three coaches that, you know, I've talked to Larissa a little bit through mm-hmm. TV, haven't talked to Coach Dean, haven't talked to Coach Ricketts. Three coaches that I are kind of, I kind of really love them all. Like, I think they're all really cool people. Yeah. And I hope that y'all hear that in episode two because all of those interviews were great. Yeah. And, and they're ones, uh, those are three that you don't really hear as much from. Maybe nationally that that and maybe maybe you should hear a little bit more because they're all really good. Uh, I, I'm like you; I had not had a lot of interaction with uh, Coach Dean or Coach, Coach Ricketts, and outside of uh, Larissa sitting next to us during the uh, Clearwater, <laughs> we should have asked her about right. that. <laughs> I don't think she remembers. She wasn't no. really she wasn't real talkative that she day. was not paying attention to no, us. I'll yeah, say that, which I understand. I also kind of think, and we'll talk about that in episode two. But I, I think that's kind of the hiding in the grass, ready to kind of jump out, maybe take out some people in 2021 teams, Missouri, Mississippi State, and Auburn. I know we weren't high on Auburn coming into 2020. After talking to Coach Dean, I believe in them a little bit more. And I think they've got some young pieces coming in. We'll get to that in Episode 2. Episode 3, coming out December 8th, Kentucky, Rachel Lawson, Texas A&M, Joe Evans, and LSU, Beth Torina. 
Good trio right there. That is, that is that is quite the trio. Yes, uh, and that, and that's probably you know that's one of the things that we saw before you know Coach Walton and Coach Weekly, but we had some of the more of the newer blood in the conference after that. But this is these are the, the these are the established people here on, on day number three. And how about episode four? We've got a hefty mix of <laughs> established and new. All right, we've got Alabama, we've got South Carolina, we've got Georgia. We've got Ole Miss. Of course, when I say a mix there, I'm talking about Patrick Murphy, who's been at Alabama for, what is it now, 23 years on staff overall. Yep. And Jamie Traxel, who was hired at Ole Miss during the pandemic. The newest of all bloods coming in with uh, with Jamie Traxel. And that's one thing we'll be interested to hear what she says about you know, having a job change during the crazy times of 2020. Yes. You know, regardless of no one wants to change jobs, period, during this time. You know, that most of us are just happy to have jobs at right. this point. Uh, so it's, you know, that's going to be a very interesting uh, discussion with her. And we, we've talked with Coach Murphy a lot. Uh, and I'm excited to hear what he has to say, too. Yeah. Again, that is episode four, December 11th. That is a Friday. So Tuesday, Friday, Tuesday, Friday, four episodes. 13 schools represented. We did it somehow. And you'll hear it all. Again, represented every school will be in media day. So before we get to interview one, which is with the Florida head coach, Tim Walton, any other final takeaways that you've got, Tom, from overarching, talking with all these coaches that we have getting ready for this? Well, like I said, I just hope it it kind of showcases that we have some really good media savvy type coaches in this league. Uh, that have the opportunity, I think, can be utilized more, can be shown off a little bit more, and can really help grow the the entire sport. Because you know that's one thing in college athletics, a lot of it has to be about the coaches because the players cycle through. Uh, so if you have that established coach that can, you know, we see it in basketball. Everyone talks about Coach K, you know, Tom Izzo, those type of guys. You know, we we got that in softball too. You know, talked about Coach Murphy. He'd be per- you know, perfect for that type of thing. People should you know be looking to hear what they have to say, not just about their team, but about the sport in general, and I think about life. <laughs> I really. agree. Yeah, I'm going to be quote unquote unprofessional and just say all these coaches are really cool. There's yeah. cool people. Absolutely. Um, what we pulled off. And again, I you know don't give us a medal or anything. We just sent some emails right. out. But I I'm not totally sure if there's another sport where you could in a month, which is basically when we started actually putting this into motion. To tonight's we're recording tomorrow, where episode one will be released on December first. I'm not sure there's another sport in college athletics at, at as high a level as softball is where you could have gotten at least responses from right. every school in the conference exactly and that happened with softball because these coaches do care a lot about promoting their programs and promoting the sport because they recognize just the meteoric rise that softball is having yeah and then that that's that's it you know you have to be accessible yeah as as much as i'm sure for some of these coaches they that dealing with the media may not be their most favorite thing but it's it's vital and important to be accessible so that people will want to cover you yeah. And and once and once they figure out that they want to cover you and figure out what the sport is, they'll it'll, they'll have no choice but to you know ride the wave with it cuz it's it, it there's a reason why it's so popular once people start watching it. You're exactly right. I mean, I I want to see these coaches again. Mm-hmm. If I am lucky enough to do TV for some of these folks, I, it'll be kind of like 
you know, a little reunion over <laughs> however we do the coaches' calls right. or, or before yeah. the games. I mean, Absolutely. They really made it fun. All right, before we dive into interview one, a reminder, because I always forget to do this, like, subscribe. We've got a new way the podcast is posted. So SoundCloud, we're kind of fading away from that, moving over to Anchor. You'll hear more about Anchor later on. But like, subscribe, comment, leave a review if you want to. Be nice. Maybe if you have a question that you want us to bring to future coach interviews or interviews in the future, anyone you want us to talk to, because we're certainly open to talking to coaches from other conferences. Sure. Maybe leave that in the comments or reviews or whatever. So, yeah, make sure you do all that and uh, keep spreading the word about the Out of the Box podcast. Now, speaking of spreading the word, we talked to Tim Walton a couple weeks ago. Yes. And about... Six, five or six days after that conversation, which was great. Yeah, but I really, surprisingly, I really enjoyed talking to Coach Walton. He was great. Yes. I I was a little worried what he would give us, knowing that we were uh, with Alabama. Mm-hmm. It's actually, folks, our longest interview. But about five or six days after this, there is the announcement that the previously clothed in crimson Skylar Wallace has transferred to Florida. Yeah. Now, as of this recording, and we know how things can change even tonight, yeah, sure. she does not have a waiver and will not play in 2021 for now. She could get that. Yeah. It's 2020. We'll see. They're tossing out waivers like Halloween candy. Sure. So, Unless you wanted to play basketball at Alabama. But that's that's, that's different, true. Different story. So we did not know that, obviously, and no. I, I don't blame Tim Walton for not addressing that with us. Sure. Well, uh, I mean, it won... It won Right. And he probably still can't even really talk about it until she has the waiver. Sure. So that being said, I do directly ask him about the shortstop position. I just want to be clear. That question was asked before we knew Skylar Wallace was going to Florida. Right. And uh, the answer I can tell you, if Skylar Wallace is given a waiver, is that Skylar Wallace will be the starting shortstop at Florida in 2021. Right. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to make sure that is clear. Yeah. And I, th- I think we should also kind of address Skyler leaving Alabama. Yes. I think it's a good good time to do that. Uh, when that announcement was made, was that two months ago now? It's, it's, I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was a while ago. It was, it was during 2020. <laughs> right, it was some point during that. 2020. <laughs> but when that announcement was made, we had considered doing a podcast mm-hmm. about it. But then when we thought about it, we didn't know anything more than anybody else did. Right. We literally... It, we were as surprised as anybody It else probably was. would have been a 20-minute reactionary, similar to, I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a college football podcast that does uh, what they call an emergency pod when a coaching change is made. Yeah. And they just react. And that was kind of what I had in mind, but then, you know, we realized why not take a little bit more time. Yeah. And so when you're looking at it, when we were thinking about doing it, the only thing we would have been able to say was, we don't really know. Uh, but the one thing I would have said then, and that's what I am still saying now, is it's not a symptom of a bigger problem at Alabama. I think Agreed. I, I think this is a 2020 one time, one person making a decision type thing from what we've seen in the fall at Alabama, everything else talking with people. It was just one of those things. And mm-hmm. I, if, it, if it wasn't 2020 and there was the additional years of, of people available for the the seniors to come back from last year you know rosters being different i don't know if decision will be made in any other year but it was this was the year it was just something that that happened surprised that she went to florida yeah that was not one of the teams that we were thinking of or that was on the radar that we knew of but i mean again, from from the announcement we pretty much had a set top three or four that where we thought she would go and that's kind of based on where 
all the big transfers go. Right. <laughs> it was like the, which I think people could probably figure out what. Yeah, it was, it's not difficult. Know, but it wasn't in it wasn't in the conference. And if it was in the conference, I was thinking, you know, maybe Georgia, somewhere closer to home, maybe Texas A and M. I was, Florida was not uh, on the radar as far as that goes. But that's where that's where it's ended up. We'll see how the waiver situation goes. I think you and I both just. We wish her the best. Of course. You know, a great if, family. Sure. A loyal listening family yeah. that I know now that, I mean, hey, we've got Tim Walton coming up first. Yeah. They're probably hearing sure. this. You know, no no ill will uh, toward toward her. Hope she doesn't have any ill will toward us or toward Alabama. And, you know, sometimes just, you know, changes are are what's best for everyone. So uh, we wish her the best and then and, and hopefully beat her whenever we play her. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I doubt... Well, I don't want to speak too soon, but it literally took a worldwide pandemic for Alabama and Florida not to play this past season. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't want to see what would have to happen for us not to play next year, so I'm just yeah. going to go ahead and assume that we will see Skylar Wallace, uh, whether she's in the dugout or on the field, playing for Florida next year. So glad you uh, glad you said that. Glad we got that out of the way again. Best wishes to Skylar going forward. We'll see her at some point. I uh, hope her family keeps doing well and enjoys uh, visiting games at KSP. Hope they have a better view of the field than we did up in the press <laughs> box. But now let's dive into uh, Tim Walton. So before we press play on this interview and head over there, Tom, anything you want to point out again? I think it was a great interview. He gave us a lot of information. And I think that this is a side of Tim Walton that I was really excited to see. Yeah. Well, I think this is November Tim Walton. March Tim Walton mm-hmm. is probably a little different. He does but, seem excited about his team, though. Right, which, you know, good. Yes. <laughs> Florida, we know they're going to be good. Yep. So let's kick it off. Softball Media Days officially begins with Florida head coach Tim Walton, our first guest here on Episode 1, Day 1 of Softball Media Days. We continue along with Softball Media Days. It is time to head to the swamp and talk to the two-time national champion, the head coach of the Florida Gators, Tim Walton. Coach Walton, welcome in. How are you? I'm great. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. It's really great to talk to you. I'm really excited to talk about the Gators because that's always a big focus of our podcast, seeing what Florida's up to. And you know, 2020 was a really interesting year for you. 2019, you lose two of your biggest pieces in Kelly Barnhill and Amanda Lorenz. We'll start with the pitching. And I think what was really interesting was when, when Barnhill left, you lose one of the best arms in SEC history, certainly in Florida history, but it seemed to me like the staff got better. Natalie Lugo seemed to have more confidence and, and you had Riley Trilicek, a rare lefty in the SEC who was really dynamic. How were you able to get the entire staff so improved, even with Barnhill gone? You know, I, I think it really, it always starts in the circle. You know, I think Every great team, not only in this league, but across the country, it starts in the circle. So but we really spent a lot of time. Uh, Mike Bosch is starting his third season with us this year. Uh, he spent a lot of quality time, not only with Kelly before, before Riley and before Natalie and Carnestrum, Hightower, but um, he spent so much time not only breaking down their mechanics, figuring out their DNA, um, they spent a lot of time on themselves, but they also spent a lot of time on scouting reports and figuring out, you know, hitter strength and weaknesses. But I think they've done a, just a great job of, of really putting the time in necessary to, to get better. But you, you hit it right on the head. Um, you know, it started with Natalie last year. She really did a great job. Um, you know, I recruited her to be that, but it took her a little bit longer. And, and maybe, you know, having Kelly Barnhill and absorbing, you know, whatever the number of innings she gets. 
or 70 some percent probably, but um, you know, I, I definitely feel like Natalie and, and Katie Cronister had, had their best years for us last year. And it wasn't unexpected. It just was something that we had waited a long time to, to really see them perform at that level. And they really were pitching really, really well. Well, I want to talk about Riley as well, just being a lefty, because over the offseason, we did kind of an SEC draft. We were trying to do it um, from 2010 to now, and we were trying to kind of pair it like ESPNs where you pick a righty and a lefty. We looked at the lefty line. It was Riley Trilchek. And that was kind of it in the last decade. So how big of a difference maker is it to have somebody who can really provide a different look in the SEC when you really don't see very many lefty pitchers? Yeah, it's, it's tough. Obviously the big lefty out of Knoxville was pretty dang good for a long time, but uh, you know, Riley's good and you know, she's not super tall. So I think there's a, you know, that's the disadvantage you know, in life for her. Um, she's a, a good drop ball pitcher. She's super competitive, super athletic. Um, you know, she, she grew up um, as a, a gymnast and a cheerleader and a pitcher and uh, everything you could, could, could say about Riley is true. She's a hard worker. Um, she's competitive, athletic. She's super friendly. And I mean that in, a, in the most positive ways. Anytime you have a leader, you need all types. And she's, uh, she's going to be a leader for us. Hopefully she's going to you know, pick up where she left off last year. But also, um, I think futuristically, she's got a she's got a good role for us, and not only in the circle but off the field. She's she's a she's a really 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 good person. I I, I just I love the way she works. It's something that you think you recruit, but you don't know until somebody moves away from home for the first time. And um, her parents raised her right. She's a twin, which is also an interesting fact that you know, a lot of times twins are a little tougher to separate and um but she's a twin or, or brother so she's a twin brother and he's a baseball player a catcher which is obviously pitcher catcher um but they the two of them i can only imagine what his work ethic's like um but they are they are workers and she's a grinder and she's really been fun to watch for well, in, in that uh, in that draft that we were talking about, my pitching staff was Kelly Barnhill and Montana Fout. So I was pretty happy with with my dra- <laughs> my draft class. That with that, it's a good that's a good balance. I, I think I'd hate to even say this, but Molly Jacobson from from uh, Ole Miss is, gosh, she was one of the toughest lefties on us. And then uh, I think Kentucky had one here in the last ten years as well that was really really tight. I think she hit as well. She was tough on us with the change and the curve and. Um, so yeah, you're right. It's, it is hard to find typically when you start to balance and you look at things, lefties have a more of an inflated, um, batting average. If you go in and look at the historic, the history of, of left-handers, um, but when you find a good one, they neutralize typically most everybody's best hitters in the lineup. And, uh, when you find a good one to do that, that's when you're, you're going to have a special, special club. Offensively for you, uh, last year, uh, kind of the same situation as you had in the circle, losing one of the greatest hitters of all time and Amanda Lorenz, but then you could say maybe up and down the lineup, it was a more rounded lineup in 2020 for you. Yeah. You know, we, we really spent a lot of time in the off season reflecting, uh, you know, I went out and coached the, the USA junior club. Um, so I spent almost the whole entire summer on the road in many different countries. And we finally finished up winning a world championship and, we, we won the world championship, flew back to Orlando, drove to Gainesville, started school the next day. So it was a, it was a tough road, but I think one of the things that helped me being out that summer with that team was talking about my own team, 
really built that team around Kelly Barnhill and Amanda. Um, but after that, you know, we, we were, we were the number one fielding team in the country in the SEC, but the offense was just average. It was very fun to watch. We won a lot of games, which I know, especially in games where they love winners, but you know, I, I wanted us to be a little more fun to watch. I wanted us to be able to hit some more home runs and, obviously having Kendall Lindemann and adding Sharla Eccles and Bailey Goddard was a freshman, Julia Cottrell, Jamie Hoover. Um, but the one thing that I, I, I really pride myself on is Amanda stayed. So she stayed as a student assistant coach and now she's my volunteer. So when you, when you have some of the best, you got to figure out a way to keep them around as long as possible. And I think just some of her conversations with our young players really helped them grow and mature because one thing to be coached by a coach, or it's another thing to be coached by one of the best players of all time. I think that her, her positivity and her confidence and her work ethic really um, you know, led over into the other players. And I think they, they completely bought into her, you know, her approach. Talking with Florida head coach Tim Walton. And coach, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe last year was the first time since 2013 your team had not been preseason number one in the SEC coaches poll. Now, I know you're Florida, but did it kind of – did, was it different coming into a year where you were the hunter and not necessarily the hunted? You know what? As coaches, I, I will use coach speak. We've always tried to figure out a way to turn this around. And, you know, maybe one year we were preseason number one and we didn't have one of the coaches didn't vote us or whatever it was. So we've, we've tried to figure out a way to keep our players motivated um, without having to, uh, you know, put the target on your back. Literally in 2009, I put a target on our back. I actually made a target, put it on the back of our t-shirts and every day our players came to practice. You could see that big target. So um, I think with the youth that we had last year, um, it was rightfully so. I don't think we were preseason ranked in a spot that we probably um, shouldn't have been. But when you graduate those kind of players and, and then you, you see the horses that Alabama was running out, I could easily see why we weren't you know, number one. And um, you know, we went to the World Series the previous year and didn't win a game at the World Series, which is the first time ever um, since I've been the coach that we, we hadn't won a game. So I think everything was was just. Uh, we, we got what we probably earned. Um, you know, and, 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 and jokingly, I know, not, I know not every team played in the uh, SEC last year because of because of COVID, but we went 3-0. and We won the SEC in my mind. So, um, you know, I think, I think Missouri said that they were co-champs with us or whatever. But long story short, I I think as coaches, we figure out a way to try to, um, you know, not not hear the things that we don't want to hear and then hear other things that we need to use for motivation. And um, I think some of our players definitely um, felt like we were probably uh, a little better than, than, than was given to us on paper. And, and we showed that. We played a tough preseason schedule and one hit here or there. And you know, I think we could have been 27, uh, 26 and one. We got whooped one game that there was no shot we were winning that game. But we ultimately – played some really good teams really well. And with as well as the season was going, um, how disappointing was it for the season to end like it did? And uh, how did the team react to how things went in 2020? Yeah, I mean, as, as, as excited as I was to tell you about the, the coach talk, that was not a coach talk that I looked forward to at all. And um, I can still see the faces and the eyes and the expressions on their face of almost disbelief. Um, I think one of the most disappointing things for me as a coach is, you know, we try to control the narrative and we try to really be the first person to break good and bad news to our players and just not being able to 
finding out like everybody else found out that the SEC championship was canceled on Twitter was mm-hmm. not the best way that I really felt like I, um, you know, I should deliver. I didn't get to deliver that message, but I felt that that was a, that was really hard for our players to text me. Is this true? Is this true? You know, so those, that was tough, but delivering the message in our media room um, when we finally officially, you know, at one point in time, we just put the season on pause. And I think the commissioner was, was looking into ways in which we could have played maybe an SEC championship, SEC only schedule. Um, but when we had to finally tell our players that the season was well, um, it was, it was tough. I, I, I just, you didn't know what the NCAA was going to do in regards to giving your seniors another opportunity. Felt like you thought they would do that, but you know, it was, it was really tough to look in the eyes. I mean, to be honest with you, looking in Jordan Roberts and Jamie Hoover and Kendall Lindemann and Jade Carraway and, and Katie Cronish were our seniors, but um, even looking in, a, in, in the face and in, in the eyes of our juniors, um, I think one of the looks of, I can still see Hannah. Ad- I mean, I don't know why, but Hannah Adams look in her eyes was just, it wasn't like sad. It was more angry. Than, you know, she was having her best season and you could just see the anger in her. We worked so hard to get to this point and felt like the rug was just taken out from, from under you. But professionally, I thought our players handled themselves very, very, very well. And, you know, you, got social media and you've got a lot of avenues. You've got a lot of microphones in the faces of, of our players. And I thought they handled the outcome of the season very professionally. And um, they supported uh, the University of Florida and they supported the SEC and all the decisions that we made. So for that, I, I, I give them a lot of credit for being very mature and understanding that this is way out of their and, you know, you, uh, every team is having to deal with what rosters look like going into 2021. And a lot of people got everybody back. A lot of people got some of their seniors back and some teams lose key seniors and you return a lot of your team. But one person that you're going to have to replace is Sophia Reynoso over at short, one of the best defensive shortstops and I've ever seen, certainly, but in the last uh, couple of years in the SEC, for sure. Do you kind of have an idea of what that position is looking like right now? Is it open competition in practice? How's that going? Yeah, Sophia was, you know, she played on a travel team. It was just loaded with talent. And a lot of those players are playing for Team USA now. Um, so with her being, she got her, her sophomore year in high school, she tore ACL in basketball and sat out a whole year, had to sit the bench on her travel team, played behind uh, Delaney Spalding and Anna Flippen and suddenly the list goes on and on and on. Um, one of the things that she was ready to play her freshman year, which was 2016 for us, our last day of conditioning and sprints before Thanksgiving break, she tear, re-tears her ACL. And uh, so she, she went the whole entire fall and then we basically had to, uh, you know, figure out that season. Um, I can tell you from hitting ground balls to as many shortstops and I've hit them to all of them. I've hit them to, uh, some of the best in USA history, some of the best Olympians, some of the best SEC players, um, and then some of my own players. And Sophia was by far the smoothest and best shortstop I've ever hit ground balls to. Um, she, even when she made mistakes, somehow the ball would roll right up her arm and she'd have it right in her hand ready to throw on the run or do something different. So um, right now we're looking at Callie Reese. She's a freshman. Um, She's got a big arm. She's super athletic. She knows the game really well, but she's still a freshman. And, um, you know, she makes a lot of mistakes. That's the one thing I, I, I grade, you know, our shortstops the hardest of anybody I grade on the defensive side. She makes a ton of mistakes, um, you know, but I can remember back when I had, I haven't had a 
I haven't had a shortstop other than Sophia Reynoso for five straight falls. So my bar is obviously a little higher than where we're at right now. Um, but Hannah Adams was recruited to play shortstop. So if you look at Sophia's injury, she would have been gone. She wouldn't have played last season. Hannah Adams would have been our shortstop last year. Then we'd be having the conversation with you right now that Hannah Adams is our shortstop this year. But because Hannah Adams, in my opinion, is the best second baseman in the entire country. I, I've never had one with that arm, obviously a shortstop arm. Usually you have a second baseman arm. Um, great athleticism, uh, tremendous knowledge of the game. But we have so many plays in our defense that are geared towards Hannah Adams. Um, so ideally, I'd rather keep Hannah Adams as the best second baseman in the country and let a freshman challenge shortstop. Um, but if she can't handle shortstop, Hannah's going to go um, over to short and then we'll play second base by committee probably more than anything. And more than likely, it's going to come down to the bat. You know, I think that's what we're, 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 we're that's where we're at right now. Um, play Callie and, uh, and Hannah plays second. Um, I think we'd be a lot better, but again, you don't know what a freshman's going to do. Um, and I'm going to give her a lot of chances. So she's played there every day so far and just hoping that she can, um, I don't ask her to be Sophia Reynoso. I just want her to be her. She's got a lot of things she does better than Sophia, but the one thing, every time a ground ball was hit to short, I wrote down on my paper, six, three, six, four, six, five, six, whatever. She never made mistakes and right now. Um, it's not quite the same. And I did want to ask a follow-up about Sarah Longley, who I saw in the FGCL this summer. Didn't play a lot for you last year, but I was really impressed with her. Certainly at the plate, she had one of the best offensive seasons we had uh, this summer in that new summer softball league. Has that translated into practice? Have you seen kind of a newfound confidence in her to where she might get more in the lineup in 2021? You know, that's one thing about Sarah. Sarah has a really good offensive uh, mindset. She uh, swings about hard and, does have that but um you know when she was the best player this summer i think she was the best player this summer on this team you know, obviously you've got kendall and you've got charla and you've got jamie hoover and you've got bailey goddard and you've got hannah adams and so she she fits in nicely she doesn't show the same amount of confidence on the field that she showed this summer but she's got a tremendous amount of confidence off the field so i, I do like her personality I, I, she and Callie were going at shortstop for a long time, the probably first month or five weeks of our, our season. There's just, again, there's just so many things that I expect out of a shortstop. And my grade is really, really tough. Um, right now I've got her playing third. I've got her playing first and, and probably going to uh, spend some time at DH. Um, but if we can get Sarah to, you know, to, to, to hit right or to get after it, like she did this summer, um, you know, I think that the, that is her future and the, the defensive position is what we'll find for her. Um, I, I recruited her and knew what she was. Um, not super athletic in regards to her range. Um, has a very solid throwing arm, solid glove, but the bat was really what um, you know, has always stuck out, stuck out to me. Um, she had a walk-off grand slam home run to center team state championship. I believe it was her junior year in high school, maybe it was her sophomore year, but um, Sarah's got it behind the, at the plate. And, um, I think the pitching's a little different in the SEC than what it was probably this summer for her. Um, but to me, hitting a hitter is a hitter. And I think that's that's one thing I, I expect out of Sarah's big hitter. Coach, one thing I've been uh, asking all the coaches here during our uh, softball media days is uh, in the Major League Baseball World Series this year, uh, the, the big story was the use of analytics 
it took Tampa Bay to the World Series, but then it bit them there in game number six uh, and cost them that game. Uh, what? How do you use analytics in, in your uh, coaching style and, and managing games? Yeah, you know, it's funny that you, you say it that way. I can remember back um, uh, 2017, we played Texas A&M. Um, I, I'm, with COVID, it's messed up my years. But 2017, we played Texas A&M. 18, 17, uh, anyway. So, you know, I had, um, I had Alicia Ocasio in the game replacing Kelly Barnhill. Joe Evans had a uh, left-handed pitcher in the game. I don't even know, McBride maybe, and replacing her, her really good uh, drop-off pitcher. Well, long story short, Texas A&M takes the lead. She brings her pitcher back in, her starter. I didn't bring my pitcher back in. She gives up a home run. Her pitcher stays in the game, gives up a home run. So analytics is only really, really good when the outcome favors those that are using analytics because there's no such thing as, I mean, Kevin Cash is in a no-win situation there. If he leaves his pitcher in for the second time, Mookie Betts hits a two-run homer. Like, what are you doing? Analytics says your guy can only go two times through the lineup. So, you know, in this world where everybody is, you know, the, the armchair coach, they know exactly what they're doing, especially when something happens that, said was going to happen. I mean, how many times did you say, oh, she's going to hit a home run right here? And she didn't. And you didn't right. go on air and say, well, I said she was going to hit a home run and she didn't. You go, well, I called that home run. I knew she was going to hit that home run. So I think as coaches, and uh, we have to use analytics. So analytics takes a whole special um, program. In other words, it doesn't take coaches. It takes somebody who has to analyze analytics. So when you start talking about front office, you start talking about you know, people using analytics to their advantage. It takes a, a team of people to be able to put that analytics together to give you the information. So um, we use uh, um, analytics for, for our hitters. Uh, we use analytics for our pitchers. Rapsodo has been a really good tool for our pitchers. Um, we really feel like that Rapsodo has been giving us um, a lot of depth to our breaks, our chains, our speed differentials, the spin rates, and all the things that we need. Um, our hitters get so mad at our pitchers because they get them out. Of course, most hitters say, well, they, I got myself out. Well, if hitters, pitchers can get the ball to break at certain points in time to make the hitter think they're swinging at something they're not, then obviously that's the whole point of pitchers to throw off their timing and stuff to hit. But rap soda has been really good for us on the pitching side. Um, we've used blast for our hitters um, to be able to measure a lot of different things. Um, the good old fashioned radar gun is a really good tool for, you know, certain velocities, exit speed, do equal batting averages and, um, and power. So we use radar guns um, to, to be able to figure out what bat speeds look like or ball exit speed. Um, and then um, both my coaches, so Eric Thomas, um, he does the hitting for us now. Um, I mean, I'd still over everything, but he, he manages that. He manages all of our, um, all of our data. And, um, you know, he by trade was probably a, a, an accounting type person. Um, back in the old days, of there wasn't um, you know, all these fantasy drafts and everything. He's always been like the commissioner of, of whatever, and he he can make an. Ex I mean, he should he should write a paper on building Excel spreadsheets. He does an unbelievable job. And then Mike Bosch, we call Professor Bosch. Um, he's a calculus teacher by trade. So we've got two people in my program that that really understand um, how to break out percentages and how to do things. So, but I, I still go back to know gut 
um, you know, my gut instinct has, has gotten me to this point in my career. I've made mistakes and been the first person to own my mistakes. But um, I think knowing your players inside and out is the biggest tool for analytics. And you start seeing velocity decreases or you start seeing things, whether it's from an injury or whether it's just fatigue, you've got to learn how to back off or increase reps or do stuff. And um, Eric Thomas and our strength coach, Sean Burke, went to On Base U last uh, January and spent a ton of time learning some different things about the body and how the body works and how that body impacts hitting and, and building different things in our strength and conditioning world to try to impact that. So I think in a long story, we use a ton of analytics. We analyze everything. Um, one year at the College World Series, I had a breakout sheet in my back pocket. I think it was, I don't remember what exactly what year it was, but I'd look at my card and it said second and third, this girl's batting 114. All right, we need a pinch hitter. And uh, I remember one year we had, I had a, I had a card in my pocket and, um, you know, in certain situations, this girl was batting really, really high. And so it told me not to bunt or told me when to bunt and some things. So I've used it to my advantage. Um, but I can also tell you that I've made plenty of mistakes and um, there's, there's a, there's a new, um, there's a new product coming out this year for college softball, or they're trying to get in college softball. Not exactly sure how to say it, but long story short, it's basically you plug in all your players' names, it gathers all their data from one, two, three, four years of their hitting, and it breaks it out over a 5,000 at bat uh, season, and it kind of, kind of spits out some facts. So I'm going to use that a little bit more to build my lineups. In other words, we're facing Montana Fouts. Which one of these lineups is, is going to produce uh, the most runs or which one of these lineups is going to produce a run or you know, whatever the, the situation might be. So I think ultimately um, we are definitely in the analytics world, um, but it definitely takes more time management to figure out what's useful to the players, what's useful to the coaches. And of course the fans just want you to, to, to leave her in when she's going to do well and take her out when she's going to do poorly. You know, Always make the right decision. Uh, that's, yeah. that's the obvious, the obvious <laughs> Uh, well, Coach, before we let you go, I've got one more thing we've asked all the coaches so far, and we're going to do the rest of Softball Media Days. Let's say you wake up tomorrow and you've been elected czar of college softball, and you can make one rule change, schedule change, something about the sport that you want to change. What would that be? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, being a baseball guy growing up, and, and now I've spent I spent almost as many years in softball as I spent in baseball. I'd say I would just like to see all of our rules the same. So all of our collegiate rules, all of our travel rules, all of our high school rules, all of the international rules, I'd like to see all of them to be the same. And the reason I say that is, um, you know, having a safety base would probably be really important at the collegiate level now because all of our players have played so many years with the safety base and there's some huge advantages. And I would never have probably known that until I coached international softball. So I would just like to see all the rules be the same. And uh, from, from whether, again, distances are different because of ages and, you know, and the player's ability level. But I would just like to see all the softball rules. Um, there be one governing body of softball rules, not an NCAA, not a this, this, that, or the other. Everything's the same. So whether you, whether you get a player from, Australia, you get a player from you know, Cerritos, California. We're all playing by the same rules. And um, I think it could be a huge benefit to teaching them um, at an earlier age so they're more prepared when they get to the, to the highest, highest level. So Tom, I think I, that, would be, that, that would be me. 
I, I think Tom, based on all the answers we've heard from coaches, the SEC should just run everything. Because <laughs> I, yeah, it, it seems to be a consensus that you know, uh, like, yeah, what uh, you said, a lot of that. Well, I think I think everybody wants the wants the you know the replay, you know, and um, I'll never forget the conver- I mean, obviously, I was the first coach to ever use replay in college softball history, <laughs> and um, and and they went to replay and come back, and you know, we didn't. They got it wrong. And then they, they obviously said they got it wrong. And the commissioner comes out for the championship and said, Hey, sorry about that. You know, one of those. And I'm like, it is what it is. I mean, I wasn't, I mean, I'm sure if we would have lost that game, the girl would have gave up a three run homer or whatever on the next pitch, but it is what it is. I thought the replay that we put in the sec was awesome because it at least gives the umpires an opportunity to go in and, and look at some things that maybe got, maybe they were out of position or whatever. So, I definitely agree that the SEC has got has a vision to do things at a totally different level, and it's the most professional thing I've ever been a part of. You know, being in softball now, but Commissioner Greg Sankey is is, is next, next, next level, and uh, he treats softball like he treats football in this league, which is you know not obviously the same for everybody. So I, I really appreciate what our league does and how we treat our student athletes. And um, you know, again, I I look back at that moment and go. That's pretty cool. I'm gonna be in the you know in the record books for 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 the first ever you know um, instant replay appeal. But uh, it was cool. I I definitely thought that was really kind of a fun moment to have that opportunity. And then later on in the tournament, it was used again. And um, I thought it was I thought it was great. I mean, I think that the SEC is definitely one of the we're we're, we're definitely out in front of a lot of uh, a lot of other people for sure. So many. Well, we'll have replay back at the SEC tournament this year. We know we'll see you there. We might see you at some point before. But, uh, Coach, we're really excited to see the Gators in 2021. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really great conversation. Uh, thank, thank you guys for having me. Thanks for what you do for, for, for not only your school, but for, for the whole entire sport of softball in the SEC. Definitely, It's definitely what these athletes need. Because the, these are professional athletes that I'm coaching because – other than the Athletes Unlimited, which was one of the best things to watch on television in COVID, um, SEC softball, it, it is. It's just more, right, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Uh, thank you, Coach. Thanks, guys. Thank Appreciate you. you. Go Gators. So there we have it. That is Florida head coach Tim Walton. What a way to kick it off, Tom. Really good stuff. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, just, again, like talking with some of these coaches, and Coach Walton was one of the best at it, just about the philosophy and about you know how how he goes about managing a game that type of stuff really informative. I will say the longest answer about analytics we had. You yeah. could tell that he was a guy who thinks about that. Yeah. So very fun, very impressive. Next up, we've got Courtney Diefel out of Arkansas. Another good conversation that we had. Before we get to Coach Diefel, let's hear a word from our sponsor. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get to uh, Courtney Diefel, Tom, a coach that I talked with over the phone and on the field right before everything shut down thanks to TV. I liked her then. 
but this interview put her over the top for me. Yeah. One of my favorite coaches that I've ever talked with. She was, like, as you talked about in, in the intro of this entire uh, episode, really cool. Mm-hmm. She it was like I think she was one of all the coaches we talked to that was genuinely happy to be talking softball yes. and talking with us. Uh, she she had a lot of fun talking with when I had a lot of fun talking with her. Uh, I agree. I I hadn't had any interaction with her uh, before this, and uh, I've now I really look forward to any time we could have an opportunity to talk with her because she was really cool. I can see why she can get players to Fayetteville because yeah. and we've joked about it in the past, but Fayetteville I have to assume would be one of the tougher places to recruit to especially Mm -hmm. for a spring sport because Fayetteville like probably like Columbia Missouri doesn't have necessarily all of the weather advantages that a Tuscaloosa or an Auburn or an Oxford or a Gainesville has right but it's because of her personality and just the way that she is that she's able to bring in these talented players to Arkansas and I can see why they've gotten so much better over her five years and you can see why that she got a job like Arkansas after only coaching for one season at Maryland. Right. You know, and, and she turned around what is a Terps program, which has gone back to being the dregs. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can kind of see why. So should we get to it? I think so. Here's Courtney Dyfel, the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks. Listen in. Softball media days continue, and it is time to call the Hogs and talk about Arkansas with the head coach of the Razorbacks, Courtney Dyfel. Coach Dyfel, welcome. How are you? Uh, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on today. I'm excited. Absolutely. We cannot wait to discuss your team. It was the only conference series that we got to see between <laughs> for Alabama in, a, in 2020. And I'm curious, Coach, what you saw from your team in the shortened season, because you really kind of in the back end of that had some tough matchups where you got to learn a lot about your squad. Yeah, you know, in um, the shortened season, we got to see some highs and some lows. I think I, we, we saw how they handled some adversity. Um, we saw um, we were starting to hit our stride. I think we hit our stride a little bit at the start of um, our series at Alabama. And then I think it kind of slapped us in the face a little bit. So it's something we were working on. And then we went into a midweek with Kansas and had to walk off wins. So I think games like that um, reveal character. I think it builds character. And I think that we were really coming into our own as a group. Um, so I'm bummed we got shut down, but I also am excited to we get a bonus here with five of our six seniors. So we have a lot of the same group back and it's been a really good fall. You had those wins over Kansas to, to finish off the year, like you said, and then uh, got the unfortunate news. Um, how did how did you take it? How did your team take it uh, when everything got shut down in 2020? Well, I think um, we were initially surprised by it, initially kind of shocked. We were gearing up for a weekend against Georgia, hosting Georgia. So um, being, you know, really starting to get into that SEC season, which is always so exciting. Um, I think the thing that really helped for us is um, one, Hunter Juracek, our ID is just um, a really good communicator. So he was kind of, he was always staying ahead of of announcements for for, for the most part and just being really transparent about all of his conversations. So I really, really, um, I just uh, appreciate his leadership through all of it. But the thing that also helped um, with us is that we heard um, that they, that our spring sport athletes were gonna get their year back. 
um, prior to having any really final conversations with the team. So I know initially we had some really big eyes in the room. Our seniors were kind of thinking, is this how our careers are going to end? Um, and, and, it, and it trickles down. It wasn't just about seniors. It was about, you know, freshmen. It's our, our freshmen, they're going to have 20 games, and then that's their freshman year. So I think that there was um, a lot of questions. I think knowing that they were going to get the year back helped us work through a lot of that uncertainty. Um, and so everything was kind of then on their terms instead of what was decided for them. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think they handled it really well. Um, our teams had a really mature perspective through it. They knew it was a lot bigger than softball and them individually. Um, and so they handled it really well. Well, and um, through all of it, and then just really how they've come back this fall too, you can really just see the appreciation and joy in being out on the field. Yeah, Coach, I'm glad you brought up the seniors because obviously the big name there is Autumn Storms, and she was she was good in the first part of her career. 2019 really seemed to turn a corner. She had an incredible performance in Tuscaloosa in 2020. So how excited are you to have her back in 2021? And what can she do to keep building? Because she seems to have gotten better every single year of her career. Well, I'm really excited. You can't see, um, I have chills just thinking about it. So just getting, um, you know, getting an extra year with five of our seniors is just huge. We weren't really ready. We weren't ready to say bye to them, but what Autumn's done for us is um, really, I mean, in the most like simple way of, she's put our program on the map. Um, she's, she's come in as a freshman and she made a difference immediately. Um, and she's just continued to up the ante every year. Um, and so I, I'm really excited to see the growth um, that she's had through her time here at Arkansas. And I'm um, ecstatic to get another year with her. I was not ready to say bye. So uh, <laughs> she's a, she is a special one. Um, she's just a, she's a pleasure to work with every day, but she's also just one of the um, most intense competitors I've ever just had the privilege to coach or watch. So um, she's pretty fun out there in the circle and I'm glad we get to them. I get to watch it another year. Because you kind of have a, you have the one-two punch of her and, and Mary Half. And uh, Mary had a really good freshman year and then had the injury at the end of the season, uh, has been working to try to get back. Is that maybe one of the silver linings of this is that she's had time now to really just focus on rehabbing and getting back to 100%? Yeah, she's really had the time to just get to the, her strongest and healthiest version of herself. Um, and also just kind of reset the mind a little bit. I think when you're battling that injury and trying to come back and it's a new normal and your body feels different and um, especially for a pitcher when that mechanic is so um, precise to what, um, you know, to the individual, I think coming back from that injury is a really big challenge. And um, I am just so thrilled with where Mary's at right now. I, I, I mean, we've, I feel, I was just talking with her um, this past week in bullpens because I'm like, man, I'm a broken record every day. I just keep saying, man, Mary, you look really good. Um, and I say that every day because her approach is so consistent. Um, she just has a really good understanding. She has a really good um, mindset about her. Um, and I, I really think she looks now as good as she's ever looked. And so I'm just really excited um, to see her compete in game and, um, and just kind of get back to herself and just be her, her strongest, healthiest version. Talking with Arkansas coach Courtney Diefel and coach, you add another pitcher in the mix and Jenna Bloom, who we saw in Tuscaloosa and Sydney Littlejohn and I who are doing the TV broadcast were really impressed by her. She shoot, she showed to us some really good flashes of what she could be 
in the league mm-hmm. in the future. How has she continued her development going into what I guess is her redshirt freshman season or whatever oh, we want to call so it? Weird. It's so weird. Um, you know, I she has been such a great addition um, to our staff. Of I mean, I mean, she's a completely different look than Autumn and Mary. Um, she's uh, a different personality, so I think that's fun. And she's a competitor, and I think that what was really good for her through that shortened season is um, she pitched in some really big moments. I think she got a, a, a dose of SEC. So being in and having to start SEC at Alabama in Tuscaloosa is, is, is very different. And so I think she felt those nerves for the first time and had to navigate through that. And, and I think she, she handled um, the curveballs freshman year can throw at you really, really well. And she's come out stronger on the, on the backside of it. So she's done a great job through the fall. Um, I'm, I'm excited about how deep our pitching staff is. This is the deepest has ever been, um, but even more so how they complement each other um, and how they work with each other and also support each other. It's a, it's a really, really good group. We've been talking a lot about your, uh, your depth in the circle and everything out there, but you also have a, a very good offense that's coming back as well, led by Hannah McEwen and uh, she really developed into a, an offensive juggernaut really there in this past season or a couple seasons. Uh, what, what will you look for her from her and then the rest of your uh, offense? Yeah, I think this is the strongest offense that we've had um, throughout our lineup. Hannah is a tremendous hitter. Um, she has been since day one. Um, she just seems to find a way to get better every year. Um, she's, you know, what she does is just add so much consistency um, like I, I just, I mean, through the, I guess she's been here three years now. Um, I don't know that I can count on one or two hands, how many bad at bats she's had in that time. Um, she's just so consistent. She has a great understanding of who she is. And I, I honestly think she's one of the best hitters in the country. And I think sometimes she gets overlooked because she's not flashy. Um, she is incredibly consistent um, and really, really productive for our offense. So um, what I expect from Hannah is for her to do a lot of what she's done. Um, you know, she's a, she, uh, and she's had a lot more power. I think she's shown some power her freshman year. She didn't have as much power in her game. Um, her sophomore year, she had a little bit flashes of it, but that's the start of her junior year. And we're seeing a ton more power in her game again this year. So um, she's just such a good tone setter. Um, she's, um, because she always is who she is. And then I think we have some tremendous hitters around her. So Braxton Burnside's had an incredible fall. Daniel Gibson has been doing Gibby things. And so I, I think we're a really strong offense. It's the strongest offense we've had. It's the deepest pitching staff we've had. So, um, the combination of everything's best defense we've had. So I'm really, really excited about this upcoming season and this, and this group that we get to coach every day. When you say doing Gibby things, are we talking more home run cycles or what? <laughs> it's just, I was like, I mean, I think where Gibby's like upped her game this year is just her mindset. You know, being a pitching coach, like it's so weird because when you do live at bats or we scrimmaged ourselves a lot more um, this year than we've ever done. And it's so weird because you want everyone to do well and it's just not realistic. And and um, I think the thing that's um, so impressive of Gibby is that she's really upped her game mentally. Um, and so she's just really, really hard to throw to on the, on the pitching side. And she just has a ton of power. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of competitions and she just, if you've been to our field, we have this berm out in the outfield and she's like, 
almost putting the ball on the street. It's just to have that amount of power and not have that amount of power consistently and um, just not get out of her outside herself. Um, that's, that's doing giving things. <laughs> when, uh, when you look at her 2020, because I remember as I was putting the board together for the Alabama Arkansas series, the weekend before she'd kind of struggled a little bit at the plate, but in Tuscaloosa, she was the dynamo. She was hitting the the game winning runs in game one. She was started, I think six for six in that series. Did that give her a little extra confidence going into what would have been the rest of the season, but then a, a longer off season getting ready for 2021? Yeah, I think it did. I, I think that she learned a lot through that shortened season last year, um, of just kind of the ups and downs. We talk a lot about, I mean, this game's a lot of failure. And so your ability to recover from that quickly and, and not lose your spirit along the way is, is huge to, um, to your overall season, your overall production. And I think that um, we saw her, I think, get caught up in that a little bit in the shortened season. And I think that going through that, she's come out so much stronger and just kind of the perspective, her approach, her her recovery, her just the mindset about all of it is just really mature. And it's just in a really, really great spot. I mean, she's obviously physically talented. And so anytime you can fine tune that mental piece, um, it's a huge advantage. And so I, I, I literally think we're seeing the strongest version too of Danielle Gibson. Coach, with the new uh, group of freshmen coming in this year, uh, now being mixed with a group of fifth year seniors that you didn't know you were gonna have when you were kind of putting everything together recruiting wise, uh, who has jumped out at you as far as the freshmen and then how are you gonna be able to you know, put the puzzle pieces together for 2021? Yeah, it's been an interesting fall um, because freshmen always kind of have to find their way, but now they're finding their way and a lot of teams that don't lose anything. So you're, um, you, there's not a lot of holes in, in what we're doing. And so it's just, I think, kind of harder to navigate that and find where you fit. Um, they've done a good job. I think the thing I'm most excited about is that they get a year with these uh, super seniors um, that they wouldn't before. So just to share their perspective, share their experiences, um, share their battles so that um, we can all kind of learn from each other. So it's been it's been pretty awesome they get that year. Um, a couple of freshmen that have really stepped up and done a really great job um, as we expected is Lauren House. She's a pitcher out of Missouri. Um, she's thrown some really great innings for us. Um, she again adds a different look um, than the three previous pitchers we've already talked about. Um, and she's just done a really good job through the fall of um, fine tuning what she does really well and, and then just competing. Um, I don't think she's, uh, uh, she's not intimidated of the competition. She's not intimidated of the moment. And um, that's what you want in the pitcher. Um, and then another freshman, Hannah Gamble, um, she's from Arkansas and she's done a, she's done a really great job too. So, um, you know, she's just this a big, strong physical athlete um, she has, I mean, I said strong already. She's incredibly strong, but she really has the potential to start at, um, maybe three positions for us. And so it's just kind of finding the right, um, pieces and what fits the best for, for our success. Coach Dyfel, you're entering year six at Arkansas. You've been in Fayetteville for five seasons. And when you arrived, this was a program that was kind of in a dark place. They were at the bottom of the SEC, but you've slowly risen up the standings each and every year. Do you feel like the program is on the proper trajectory of what you had in mind when you arrived at Fayetteville? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm really proud of what we've been able to build here. Um, I'm really proud of our student athletes for really taking that taking that steady climb of, of continuing to move our program forward. Um, 
I'm, I'm not surprised by it. Um, I will say just because in looking at Arkansas before I got here, it's just kind of like, wow, everything's in place for um, this to be a really incredible program. Um, it's just, it, it, I guess it's just getting to the recruits to see it, you know, actually come and see it one, but then see <laughs> the vision of the athletic department, the support, obviously the SEC speaks for itself, but when you get here and see this place, it's really, really special. And um, our student athletes have just done an incredible job of um, wanting to leave their mark on, on Arkansas and being part of that build. That's why we're here. Um, we're incredibly competitive people, but we see that this place is really special. It has the potential to be really big time and um, the recruits share that vision. And so they are, they're committed to continuing to push this thing forward. They don't, if they don't want to do it, we can't do it. So um, they're bought into Arkansas, they're bought into each other and, um, and they're bought into leaving their mark on this place. And so I'm pretty excited about it. Talking to Coach Courtney Dyfel from Arkansas as we continue with Softball Media Days. And Coach, a couple of just general coaching questions for you. Uh, first, with you know everything being as it's been since March in the world and in the world of, of athletics, I know coaches want to be in control of everything all the time. That's that's you know. You're, we don't. We're talking about <laughs> you're the head coach. You, should, you know you should be in control of things. But now we're we're in a situation where. Everything has to be fluid. You have to be so flexible. There's, we, there's so many unknowns uh, moving forward. Uh, has it made you have to change the way that you, you know, just run the program? Yes, a little bit. Um, I think that's been the toughest thing about kind of navigating COVID and being a coach or a leader um, for this team is that you don't have all the answers. And, and really, ultimately, at the end of the day, your job is to provide answers and, and fix problems, right? So we're problem solvers and we're, um, we need to provide answers. And I think that's been the toughest thing is as they have questions, I don't have answers. And, um, you know, it's like, okay, I'll try to find out, but I've had to say, I don't know more than I ever have in maybe my life, especially my career. And so it, it's the, I don't know, I'll find out, or, you know, guys, we're just doing the best we can. And we know we have today and let's focus on today. And we're doing the best we can ever with, with what the card, you know, the cards that are dealt. So it's changed a little bit in that, in that way of just, um, getting us a lot more comfortable with that uncertainty, um, and, and providing the, the, um, the certainty where we can. Um, but it's also just put the focus a lot more on the individual and, um, which we do a lot with anyway, we do a lot off the field, but you're finding new ways to, you have to find new ways to connect with the individual when you don't get to have the face-to-face -face team connections that we typically have. And, um, and the, and the thing that we worked through a lot, um, through summer and the start of fall is every individual is handling it different and every individual needs something different. And so, um, where we have a really big team mindset, it's been a lot more individualized with what the individual needs um, to be at their best through this time. So um, we've all grown a lot. We've all learned a lot. We've um, had to be really patient, really understanding. Um, and at the end of the day, I think what we always come back to is that we really care for each other and we really love each other. And so, you know, as, as um, all these things happen, we're in this together and we're just going to make the most of each day that we get. And then as far as on the field, um, one thing that came out, something I've been asking all the coaches, something that came out from the Major League Baseball World Series this year was the use of analytics. Uh, Tampa Bay used it really well to get to the World Series, but then in game six, it, it kind of bit them. 
Uh, just wanted to see how do you, how much do you use analytics in your preparation and in your actual managing of games? So uh, my assistant, Matt Michael, is maybe our, the, the biggest analytics mind in the game. Um, so it's, I'm like, oh, did you ask me this question because of Matt? Um, so he's called upon a lot um, in our coaching world just to, to speak to that analytics piece or the numbers piece of the game. Um, we have a good balance of that. So we do a lot of our prep work um, using kind of his systems, his analytic analytics. We um, actually shade our defense probably a lot more. Um, we've been doing that for a few years um, with him kind of running the numbers. Um, we, we have a lot of number piece to, you know, our lineups, our scheduling, our um, some of some strategy and game when it comes to um, hitters that we want to attack or, or things like that. But, um, but we also balance that with gut, you know, so I think sometimes you can get caught up in the numbers and I think that they're, um, they're a guiding force for us, but they're not the end all be all. And so we just try to um, have a good balance with that of also feeling the moment and knowing the individual um, and, and, but making sure we're making um, good decisions based on the numbers too. I kind of wanted to follow up with that because the last couple seasons you've been able to go in conference series, either autumn, Mary, autumn, or Mary, autumn, Mary. Do you use analytics as part of that to make those decisions when it comes to conference play starting pitchers? Um, we do a little bit. So it's just kind of the matchup and the type of offense they are, or, you know, their success against righties, lefties, all those different situational things. Um, it's also been a lack of depth. So I'm going to be really honest. Um, <laughs> you know, the last couple years, um, we have been in a great spot because, or prior to this past year when we added Jenna, um, but um we've been in a great spot because we had Autumn and Mary, um, but we, that was, that was our staff. And, and we knew in those years, although we had incredibly talented and strong staff, it was, it was not very deep. And so I think that's kind of obviously what kind of bit us a little bit at that um, end of the 2019 season when Mary went out um, with her knee, right. Like she tore ACL literally the night before selection show. And so then you're like, okay, well, um, we have one pitcher. And so that's, you know, so we hadn't been, hadn't been deep and now we have that depth. So um, it's a little bit of lack of depth. It's a, it's a little bit of, okay, you know, the good thing with Mary and Autumn is they're very different pitchers. And so sometimes a rise ball pitcher is going to be more effective against a certain offense than a drop ball pitcher. And so it's just kind of matching them up to who we want to get the two games out of, or sometimes who we want to start with who we want to finish. Um, and so just kind of thinking of those things, but obviously as we get, um, you know, deeper in our pitching staff, we use the numbers piece a little bit and a lot and a lot of the feel. All right, also. coach, last thing before we let you go, this is another question that we've asked everybody. Let's say you, you wake up tomorrow and the newspaper falls on your front step and it says, Courtney Diefel, new czar of college softball. You are in charge of everything. What is one change you would make to the sport that could be scheduling rules that could be anything pertaining to college softball? Hmm. And, it, and if you say, I wish, hmm, I, had, I wish I had more notice of this question. I apologize. No, it's okay. Most of the coaches have opened with ooh or huh and needed a <laughs> second to think. <laughs> what are some of the other answers? <laughs> uh, we've, had, we've had a lot of people that have mentioned they would like to see more uniformity, uh, with rules as you move up, you know, from high school and travel ball into college, 
Uh, that's been one thing scheduling. You know okay, that sparks something in me. Sorry. <laughs> you know what I would like to see, which we I think we've gotten away from, is just like um, this the not the teaching of the game, but just kind of letting the players play um, at the at the younger levels. Uh, uh, I would like to just see them get to play and feel out the game. Um, I'm always reminded that I'm old now um, as I like deal with our players every day. Um, and it's been a long time since I went through it. But the, the best thing that our coaches ever let us do is that we just got to play. We got to feel out the game. We got to make in-game decisions. I got to call um, every pitch as a catcher and travel ball, which you just don't see a lot. Um, and that's when you really learn about yourself as a player, but you also just learn the game, the strategy piece of it. Um, and you don't become like this robot. You guess you just get, you know, ready to any, any situation, anything that's thrown your way, you're ready for it because you've already had to deal with that on your own. So um, I like, I like that piece of it. I like the strategy piece of it. So I, I think let's just let the players play. Cause we'd like to do that. I think more at our level too. Well, I like that rule. Go ahead, Tom. I was just saying, is there a uh, is there a a rule in softball in college softball that you think is, is maybe could be tweaked to be better? Uh, no, all our rules are great. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> they're all good. Everything's fine. That's the <laughs> diplomatic answer right there. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's Arkansas head coach Courtney Diefel. Coach, this was so great. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, you know we. We don't really know what 2020 and 2021 has in store, but we do know one thing, and that's the SEC tournament is in Tuscaloosa. So we will see you at some point. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. This was awesome. Absolutely. Thanks, Coach. So there you have it. Courtney Diefel, Arkansas. Another Zoomer that we had on the interview. In fact, all three of our interviews tonight were over Zoom. And by the way, all the coaches very punctual. But <laughs> I really did enjoy hearing what she had to say, and I – I'm really excited to see what Arkansas looks like. I do think the key for them, and we'll talk about this more later on when we kind of wrap up media days, is finding that offense to back up what is really steady pitching. I think yeah. Coach Diefel sounds really excited about the bats that she has coming back. Yeah, she does. And and I think she's also pretty excited about the pitching depth she has behind the, the starting two, mm-hmm. behind Autumn Storms and Mary Half. It sounds like she's, she's very excited about having more than just the two to go to. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Arkansas, I don't know. I mean, this at the end of this, we're going to do kind of a remixed early, early top five. Way, way too early. Way too early top yeah, five. Maybe yeah. I'll drink the Arkansas Kool-Aid again. Oh, no. Maybe I'll throw it back to season one. Wow. Really just go all in. <laughs> See what Bev Smith has to say about that. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> <sighs> I'm, I'm 0 for 2 on Kool-Aid. You are. <laughs> one, my team finished in bottom half of the conference the other we don't know because right. there was a pandemic <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't looking good it wasn't going great no so 2020 wasn't going great for this next coaching duo but they are firmly in the camp that 2021 is going to be a lot different that is uh, ralph and karen weekly at tennessee yeah uh, and i can see why because talent wise roster wise depth wise i think they have one of the more talented rosters in the league it's just whether or not they're going to be able to, you know, get all the pieces together as they move forward. Uh, after having a, uh, it was a season where they they played a really tough non conference schedule in 2020 and didn't have a whole lot of success, and they had injuries. Uh, so we'll see if, if they can stay healthy and keep everybody uh, where they need to be. Uh, they can be right back where Tennessee usually is. Yeah, it was the injury to Ashley Rogers that was really what derailed yeah. that that team in 2020. Ali Shipman in 2019, 2021. I hope they have better luck. 
And uh, she and he, the uh, the weeklies, the co-head coaches at Tennessee, were certainly very excited about the team they've uh, they've got coming in. So let's step aside for a moment, Tom, and then we will hear from the co-head coaches at Tennessee, Karen and Ralph Weekly. Stay tuned, folks. The weeklies are coming up. All right, we're back. It's time for Karen and Ralph. You ready? Let's go. All right. Without further ado, here is our conversation with the co-head coaches at Tennessee, Karen and Ralph Weekly. As we roll right along with softball media days, it is time to head to Rocky Top and talk with the coaches weekly. That would be Ralph and Karen, co-head coaches in Knoxville for the University of Tennessee. Ralph and Karen, welcome in. How are y'all? Going great. Going great. Looking forward to playing some softball this coming year. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yeah, for sure. I did want to talk a little bit about 2020. It was an interesting year for your team. And the big story surrounding the Lady Vols this uh, this past season was Ashley Rogers and her injury. Uh, Brian Rice told us as the season ended when we interviewed him that she was close to coming back. So what is her status right now as she gets ready for 2021? Her status is she's been healthy this fall. She's thrown, you know, every day, a full participant in fall ball. We're thrilled to have her back. Actually, we were at the airport boarding the plane to go to Texas A&M when we got the call. Uh, don't get on that plane. Everything is on, on a halt. And then, as we know, you know, 48 hours later, we were shut down completely. Um, Ashley would have thrown that weekend at Texas A&M for the first time in the 2020 season. So, you know, it was a tough uh, first 23 game games without her, especially because the other pitchers on our staff were young, you know, first year players in our program or freshmen. I think they gained a lot of valuable experience from being thrown into the fire. So unexpectedly, um, but, but we did take, take our beatings without our ACE on the mound. We were thrilled to have her back when we did, and then things turned out the way they did, but uh, she's good to go now. And coaches, what did you see from uh, Kelly Turner? Uh, as she was kind of having to to play for Ashley throughout most of the, the season. And what have you seen from your entire pitching staff here as we get ready for 2021? Well, I think what we saw with Callie last year is just how well she handled that. Um, you know, you, you don't know what a freshman's going to do, how they're going to react to the situation that she was in. And, and she really was our ace. And, you know, she took her lumps, but she kept wanting the ball. And she kept going out there every day, giving the team everything that she had. And, She's a young lady who has tremendous stuff, really good stuff. And I'm just really excited to watch how she's going to grow over the course of her career here. And, you know, she beat some good teams last year. She beat Northwestern and, and she beat Stanford. And uh, so, she, you know, she had a uh, – uh, she was a young pitcher thrown into a leadership role. But uh, she did a good job, and we think she's really going to be an impact player for us in the future. Yeah, you mentioned some of the good wins. And like I said, it was kind of a strange 2020 for your team because you had some of these trips where you had tougher weekends and tougher results. Do you kind of view 2021 as a reset as if say, hey, 2020, it happened, we're over, ready to move on from that and learn and improve off of uh, the results that we had last season? Well, what we're really excited about is in 2019 in this league where everybody's good, we finished second. And we have seven starters back from that team, you know, plus uh, a lot of good newcomers. And uh, 
So we're excited. We know the league's tough. It's tough from top to bottom, but uh, we've got more depth than we've ever had, and we're fairly deep on the mound. So, uh, you know, we're looking forward to the season. And the way everything happened in uh, at the end of 2020 and this offseason where there's so much still up in the air, uh, has this been kind of the, the toughest uh, challenge for your for you as a coach in your entire career, dealing with what's been going on, not only in softball, but in the world here this, this last year? It has been tremendously challenging for everybody, you know, not just softball players, not just athletes, but, you know, our, our entire population uh, with everything that people have had to deal with. I think one of the things that we really took from Pat Summit during her time here and, and the mentorship that, that she brought to both of us was the concept of uh, right foot, left foot, breathe. And, you know, I, I think we both try to live like that and we try to model that for our players. Um, a lot of things are going to happen in your life. Um, it's, it, Ralph calls it the 2080 rule. Life's about 20% what happens to you and 80% how you respond to it. But, you know, like Pat always said, just put one foot in front of the other and, and keep breathing. And that's really all you can do each day and, and just try to take on each day, each hour of the day as best you can. And if you keep your focus small like that, uh, it, it really helps. If you try to take on the whole world in, in one day, it's going to overwhelm you. So I think we've had a really solid fall because we've just tried to, you know, have a good day each day and just kind of grind and grind and, and add them all up and put them together. And, and at the end of the fall, we feel pretty good about where we are. And how, how tough is it when, you know, you, you're the coaches, you're the head coach, you know, you're supposed to be in charge of everything. You're supposed to have all the answers, but it's just impossible to have those answers right now. It absolutely is impossible. And there's just uncertainty. And, you know, it's, it's trying to get your players comfortable with being uncomfortable and comfortable with uncertainty and comfortable with unknowns. And ultimately you have to be true to who you are. You can only control um, what's inside of you, um, your attitude, your behaviors, your actions, and staying true to your standards. And I think if this 2020 and, and everything, all the challenges it has presented for us, if it's taught us anything or maybe revealed anything about us as individually, it's, it's just that. You know, what, what is our core integrity all about? And how, how true are we to the standards of who we are as human beings? Ralph and Karen Weekly joining us here for Softball Media Days as we talk about the Tennessee Lady Vols. And uh, Coach Weekly, Coach Weekly, uh, the big story for your team in 2020 coming in was getting Allie Shipman back. And that was a player that you lost in 2019 due to injury. Madison Shipman has been on our show multiple times, and uh, she kept updating us on, on her rehab. And getting her back was such, such a lift for you offensively, but also defensively because you're able to solidify some of the things in the infield. How important truly – is Allie Shipman to your squad, both in the field and at the plate? Well, you know, she's a catcher and she is the field general and uh, she's also a very good hitter. But I think what Allie brings to the table more than anything else is leadership and a great softball mind. Uh, she's just a, a great kid and uh, we're glad she's back and ready to go. Also, uh, transfers have been a, a big story here in the offseason, and you guys got, got a big one coming out of Arizona with Ivy Davis coming in. Uh, what will she bring to your all's program? Ivy is an incredibly mature player, and, and not just um, emotionally mature, but her softball IQ, her softball maturity. Every once in a while, you watch a player just take the field, 
And in the first 20 seconds, just how they move on the field, you just say to yourself, that's a ball player. And that's what people will see when they see Ivy Davis. That, that's your reaction. Uh, she's an amazing shortstop. Um, she can make all the plays. She can make all the throws. And she's consistent. I think that's the thing I love about her as a coach is she's not just going to make your great, spectacular plays that make you say, wow. She's also going to you know, make every routine play. And she takes great pride in the details of the game and is passionate about the process and the details. And, and that really spills over to our other players. I think they've just um, benefited from watching somebody go about their business at such a, a high level. And um, we're, we couldn't be more pleased with the addition of Ivy to our program. We're not a program that's known for having a lot of transfers come into our program. It's, it's not a way we've you know, typically chosen to build our program. But I can say we feel like we hit the jackpot with Ivy. She's also, you know, a pretty doggone good hitter. And when you come out of Mike's program, you know you're going to be a good hitter. <laughs> what kind of impressed us is she went two for three against us in a game we played them at Arizona State. So she played first base for them. She was a starter, but she's a shortstop at heart. You brought her in, and then you also have, of course, all the seniors, the COVID seniors, that are able to come back for you here this year, um, something that everyone's dealing with, but uh, how are you gonna be able to put some of those pieces together that you might not have known you were gonna have when you're you know, recruiting and putting together what you thought 2021 was gonna be? Yeah, you know, we've got two starters back in Chelsea Sagern and uh, Kaylin Hannon. Kaylin is a starting outfielder for us. Chelsea's been a lockdown third baseman for us for, you know, now this will be five years. So real blessings there for sure. Uh, interesting. Yesterday, we had a film session and Kaylin Hannon walks in and scrubs. Well, Kaylin is in her first year getting her doctorate in clinical audiology. So it was just so cool from a coaching perspective um, to just see that growth, you know, and see that transformation that you don't usually get the benefit of that because they're gone from you by the time they move into a program like that. So it's just really, really neat for us. But from you know a playing standpoint, it's huge to have them back. Huge to have that experience. Um, you know, just huge to have that presence on the field. And you can see it. You can just see they play with a different aura. Treasury Poindexter is another super senior. Uh, absolutely one of the most explosive um, base runners that I've ever seen. She can change a game with uh, you know her feet. I mean, just the snap of a fingers. It's really exciting to watch her. Tremendous defensive player, really good slapper for us. So we couldn't be more happy to have those three super seniors, as we call them, back with us. Also, in, in returning from that uh, team from 2019, we still have Chelsea Segrin at third and Caitlin Parsons at second, Ashley Morgan at first, and of course, Shipman behind the plate. So Ivy Davis coming in at short gives us a, a pretty experienced outfield. And then... Uh, or infield, I'm sorry. And then we have KK Kiki Malloy, who's uh, played for us last year and had a couple of walk-offs. The, the key is that everybody in the conference is good too, because the other teams are all returning a ton of people too. So I think it, it should be a really great conference season. And, and a senior in our outfield too, and Amanda Ayala. So it, it's nice as a coach. And I, I think all the coaches are probably saying this with the COVID relief and, and eligibility, but to look out on your field and in your practices and, and have so much experience. Um, it just, it lends itself to a completely different practice and 
gives your, your young players a real opportunity to grow in the program. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of additions, you've added somebody new to the coaching staff and Megan Rhodes Smith, which I'm sure is very fun for both of you, uh, considering her history with Tennessee. Uh, what difference does she bring to the coaching staff and what can she do to help the pitchers as they get ready for 2021? You know, I think the biggest thing with Megan was, um, well, there's so many things, but she's been in their shoes. She's been in that circle in the, you know, those pressure situations in the biggest SEC games, in the biggest postseason moments. She knows exactly what they're feeling in those moments. And so she can relate to that. Um, Relationships are huge to her. She's done a great job and did a great job from the day she was hired, building those relationships over the summer, even before she could have you know one-on-one time with them and work with them on the field, getting to know them. She is one of the smartest people I know. Uh, she's a, a studier, she's a learner. Back when Megan was an assistant pitching coach at other schools, she would occasionally call me um, or even come down here to watch a slapping camp. And I said, you coach pitching, what do you wanna know about slapping? And she said, you know, I just want to learn about all aspects of the game, because if I'm going to develop into a a good, well-rounded coach, I need to learn about slapping and hitting and defense. And I I took note of that. That just really impressed me that she, she viewed the game that way and always was looking for ways to expand her knowledge. And then another way that she's helped our team tremendously is um, she has a background and a passion for sports psychology. When she completed her undergraduate degree here, she then went into our graduate program in sports psychology and got her master's and absolutely loves that part of athletics and spends a lot of time with our players, either in team activities or individual one-on-one sessions working on the mental side of the game. And so I think that's really brought uh, an enhanced element to our team that uh, we're going to benefit from greatly. How did, uh, how did you all approach fall practice this season without the, the usual fall scrimmages that you guys, with everyone would normally be able to have? Well, you know, we uh, did inter-squad like most other teams. Again, in the SEC, we had 24 kids on our roster. So we were able to have uh, 12 inter-squad games and uh, use some umpires in those games. And uh, it really worked out good you know, and uh, that's about all you could do. And we did it. And we treated them like real games as much as you can. You know, the umpires, the scoreboard, we weren't allowed to have fans in the stands, which we completely understand. Um, but everything else was, was like an official game. Uh, we used the athletes unlimited scoring model for about half of those scrimmages to kind of just, you know, give it a little bit of, of a tweak and kind of keep the kids, you know, really engaged and competitive and, we, we actually had some of our more competitive scrimmages um, that we've ever had. I think it, it was really productive. You know, we had them suit up and uh, wear different uniforms. And uh, so, again, it worked out just like a regular game. And we even uh, uh, had some of those games on our network here, our ball network. So that worked out good, too. Yeah, but that's one of the things I've heard from several other coaches as well is almost as though you know, these type of scrimmages, you might be able to even get more out of it than you would have in your normal fall schedule. Because if you were playing a, you know, a community college or a lower division uh, team, uh, you know, you might beat them 10 or 12, nothing. Whereas these scrimmages, they might have been a little bit more competitive. Yeah, absolutely. We have some highly competitive games and, and it's really fun to kind of see the uh, <laughs> trash talk, I guess, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, talking with Ralph and Karen Weekly here as we discuss Tennessee. And Karen, I wanted to specifically talk to you about what's going to happen in the spring because you're on that subgroup for SEC softball and baseball. And um, obviously you and that committee are meeting often, I assume, to discuss what the spring could look like. And we really don't know what that could look like because things are changing every day. But do you and the rest of the folks on that committee kind of have an idea of maybe the target line for uh, for where where maybe you want to solidify things is there is there a finish line you're trying to get to where maybe uh, a schedule is set well i think we've tried to operate under some philosophical principles and and one is you know we have the benefit being a spring sport of watching what's happened with the fall sports and now we're about to start winter sports and basketball and and see what happens um understanding that time is on our side and, and time is, is the great gift if you use it. And I think we've seen some of the mistakes made across the country in the fall, making decisions early and mm -hmm. then having to you know, backtrack or pivot from those decisions at a later date. Um, and, and I think Commissioner Sankey's done a great job of leading us in that respect. And early on in this process in the summer, he preached the value of patience. And you know, what do we know now that we didn't know 30 days ago? What will we know 30 days from now? And like you say, this is an ever-changing environment. At some point, you know, the season will start and we'll need to be prepared for it. So yes, we're talking about contingency plans, but there's very much a sentiment that we don't wanna make any drastic decisions or changes too early. We wanna wait as long as we possibly can. And, you know, the, the vaccination, uh, news that's come out in the last 10 days um, could be a real game changer, depending mm -hmm. upon how quickly that can get distributed. So, you know, to your point, it's an ever-changing environment. We might have been having conversations two weeks ago that become a moot point if the vaccination, you know, really bears out like, like it could. So I think patience is the key. And, um, you know, first of the year, uh, with all of us anticipating starting seasons February 12th for softball, February 19th for baseball, uh, we'll have to have some idea of where we're headed. But uh, I think the message right now is let's wait as long as possible. It, was there a sport that you were watching maybe more closely than others in the fall or maybe this upcoming winter that you're going to watch more closely than others to see what those success rates and those postponements look like? I wouldn't say any particular sport. I think just watching how the different conferences have the timing of decisions with, with their sports and then how has it worked out? Mm -hmm. And, you know, did you gain value from waiting? Uh, did anybody wait too long? Um, I think everybody, not just our subgroup, but I think our entire athletic community and, and certainly our nation is um, a little on pins and needles right now with the trends we're seeing. And knowing that, you know, we're headed into a very risky period with all of the holidays and we saw spikes in the summer and the holiday events were outdoors. Now we're going to have holiday events that are largely indoors because it's a cold weather period and we're spiking already and we're not even to Thanksgiving yet. So I think we're, you know, anticipating that this thing's going to continue to go in a pretty dangerous direction. Um, and what's that going to mean for us at the first of the year? So, um, but again, it's hard to predict. Mm -hmm. uh, Coach, one thing I've been asking uh, all the coaches is uh, something that came out of uh, watching the Major League Baseball World Series this year, and it's the use of analytics. 
Uh, Tampa Bay really used it to get to the World Series, but then it, it hurt them in game six. I uh, just wanted to ask what's your how much do you guys use analytics in your preparation and in your actual game management? You know, I think you've alluded to it there. It's a it's a balance. And over the years, you know, we have an outstanding business analytics program here at Tennessee and a master's degree in that. In fact, we have several people from that program that have gone on to work for professional sports organizations. And every year they have a um, seminar event in the fall that um, I have had the privilege and opportunity to be a part of um, several times. And so we have used uh, master's students. We've had master's students come work with us to run some pretty cool analytics on run production and things like that. And we've always looked at that information and it's always been valuable. But I think, um, you know, your gut instincts play a big part in things too, because analytics can never quantify for you the, uh, the human emotion that's involved. And, you know, as a coach, I think the, the most important thing that you can do in those situations is know from experience how your player is going to respond. And uh, that has a lot to do with emotions that you just can't put on paper. So I think there, there has to be a balance, but it's certainly become a much more important part of the game. And um, I think it's pretty interesting when you watch baseball and you see some of these shifts and things like that, that they're, they're now talking about, you know, legislating out of the game because of what it's done to the game. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's just striking that balance. Coach Weekly, Coach Weekly, one last thing before we let you go. This is one of the more fun questions that we get to ask, and we've done it with every coach so far. Let's say you wake up tomorrow, and the newspaper is delivered to you, and it says up top, Ralph and Karen Weekly, the new czars of college softball. You're elected to this position where you are in charge of the whole sport. What is one change about anything in the game, scheduling, rules, NCAA tournament committee, what they look at, uh, World Series scheduling, who knows? What's one change that each of you would make if you were elected in that position? Right here. <laughs> well, I know what mine would be, and, and mine would have nothing to do with college softball. Um, I've always said if I was queen of softball for a day, I would make a rule that players had to call their own game uh, from the youth level on up. So they would learn – Catchers would learn, catchers and pitchers would learn how to call the game together. Um, when I was growing up, fortunately, coaches didn't call the game for us and we had to learn how to do it. And I think um, that went a long way towards, um, I know for me and my teammates, developing our game IQ and our instincts um, for the game and reading hitters. And I think, uh, you know, because we do a lot of that for our hitters when they're so young that we, we've taken away that opportunity for them to, to really learn. Well, for me, one thing I would do is try to work on changing the transfer rules. I just think there's uh, so much transferring in all of college athletics. And, and there are players now that go to three different schools before they graduate. And uh, I just would like to see players come to a school, stay at that school and graduate from that school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I throw that in. I mean, every answer that we've gotten so far has been fantastic from all the coaches. And uh, I, I really do think it's interesting that Probably, Tom, I'd say five of the eight conversations we've had have focused on not even rules in the college level, but rules on the high school level, which shows um, yeah. how much y'all care about the sport in general, and not just about uh, the college level, which is really great. Absolutely. That's, that, that's been the interesting thing. I know that's something that you guys are looking at when you're recruiting. It's hard to recruit people if they're using uh, totally different rules or that you'll be there. You know, if they come to 
uh, your campus, you're going to have to teach them a whole different way of doing something. Uh, whereas if everything was kind of more uniform coming up, it would make things a lot easier for you guys. Oh, absolutely. I mean, sometimes you have no idea how well a kid can run the bases because they've had a courtesy runner their whole life because of the position they play. So just little nuances like that for sure. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much. The best package deal in SEC softball, Ralph and Karen Weekly joining us, the co-head coaches at Tennessee. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank, Thank you, guys. Thanks Appreciate for having it. us. So that was Ralph and Karen over Zoom from Rocky Top. Another yeah. one where uh, we were all kind of separated, but I thought they gave us good stuff. It's been a long time since I've interviewed two people at one time. I don't think we've ever done it in this no. capacity before. No. It's really interesting. Now, the only time we ever done it is we were drafting teams. Right. So, so <laughs> we, we, we weren't, the weeklies were not part of our fantasy draft. No. Yeah, I thought we got some really good answers from them. You can tell that they are maybe the most eager to get yes. to go, get going in 2021. Yes. I remember as I asked the question about viewing 2020 or I guess the season being canceled as a chance to just reset after and I'm going to put it bluntly it was it was disastrous. I mean they they couldn't beat UCF, they couldn't beat anyone in that Tampa tournament. And coach weekly Ralph was very quick to point out that 2019 was a really good year sure. and that they have a lot of those players coming back and I think that's a good point. I didn't mean to you know, be super negative in the way I asked the question. Yeah. But I do think that Tennessee is set up a little better than I had thought for kind of a return to form in 2021. Yeah, I, I agreed. Um, and I think you kind of heard also about how much, and we may see this kind of more so moving forward, even once restrictions are lifted in the fall, maybe going toward more of scrimmaging each other than, than playing other teams. Right. I could, you know, you could for the see, next couple of years for sure yeah. with these elevated numbers on the roster, right? Uh, because yeah, if you have enough to do full scrimmages, you get a lot more out of playing each other, you know, all D one high level talent than you know playing a local community college. That nothing against them, but you're you're gaining a lot more as far as competition and meaningful reps, right? Doing that, other than just the fact that the opponent's wearing a different color. So I, I, it'll be interesting to see how that moves forward in, in the general thought of fall practice moving moving on. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Should we, uh, should we wrap up day one? Sure. All right, when we come back, we'll have our final thoughts, the conclusion, the wrap-up from day one of Softball Media Days, full of fun and riveting conversations with coaches around the SEC. This is Out of the Box. Softball Media Days will be right back. So that's day one. We talked to Tim Walton from Florida. We talked to Courtney Dyfold at Arkansas. We talked to the Weeklies, Ralph and Karen at Tennessee. Tom, final thoughts from our conversations with those three, I guess, four head coaches? <laughs> I, I thought they were all really open and, and very uh, very honest with their answers, and they gave us a lot of really good stuff. And uh, I, I think after listening to them, it's you have a lot to think about with how good all three of these teams are going to be in 2021. I agree. I think we're looking at a front runner. I think we're looking at a team – who who's ready to kind of make that leap? We'll see if they can do it. And and that in that case, I'm talking about Arkansas. I think you're looking at a team that's trying to come back and be where they should be right. in Tennessee. 
And I think it's interesting to hear how all three coaches talked about their programs and all have a, a really positive outlook about sure. what 2021 will be like. And how can you not have a positive outlook if you're Tim Walton? You won the most important softball game in history in 2019. <laughs> I need to slip that in at some point. Good job, Tom. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, let's talk about day two. We've got Missouri, Mississippi State, and Auburn. Larissa Anderson, Samantha Ricketts, Mickey Dean coming in. Earlier in the intro, I said you're looking at three teams kind of waiting in the grass, and we'll preview that more when we get into episode two. But I think all of you at home are going to listen to three coaches that really believe in their program, believe in the process, and believe in kind of what is what is essentially in all three spots a rebuild from pretty mediocre years yeah. just a few seasons ago. And they're not places that are what you would consider a blue blood of college softball too, and or even in the conference. Right. You know, they're they're not teams that have a whole lot of you know real high history, uh, but teams that are you know, when you have the right people in there can can make some make some noise and do some damage. Yeah, I'm excited to watch those teams in 2021. I'm excited for all of you to hear those interviews, which will be episode two coming out Friday, December fourth. People can find you where, Tom, on the Twitter machine? On the Twitter machine, at T Canterbury RTR. Um, we've uh, had a lot of fun here recently. We have. Yes. There's been some fun football games and good <laughs> outcomes that I've enjoyed. Uh, well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Always good stuff from at T Canterbury RTR. <laughs> I am at Gray, J-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Follow the show at out of the box underscore pod. We will also be releasing snippets from the interviews, more scheduling updates as they come from the show's Twitter. So, again, at OutOfTheBox underscore pod. Thank you to Coach Walton. Thank you, Coach Dyfel. Coach Weekly and Coach Weekly. Yes. Thank you. And thank you to the SIDs and everybody that helped yes. put all this together. Yes. This is just day one, folks. Mm-hmm. We've got three more days of this. But that is it for the first episode of Softball Media Days. It's just getting going. Coming up on Friday, again, we will get to cover Missouri, Mississippi State, and Auburn. Yes, an Alabama softball podcast spending the majority of an episode talking about the Tigers. He what even, a time. He even said that phrase and we allowed him to say it. Yes, it's 2020. <laughs> Let's get weird. We will talk about everything with those head coaches, so make sure you listen in. This special project has been months in the making. It's historic. We're just getting started. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson saying so long. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast. Stay safe, folks.